And Cam is here today and got somebody special with her. You want to introduce us to him? All the way from Australia. Well, I'll do you a favor today. I won't use my Australian accent. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And then we have others just welcome in Jesus' name. We're so grateful and thankful that you're here today. Hallelujah. God's good, isn't he? Yeah. Amen. Well, what I want to share with you today is about the fact that we all have a past, amen? We have a past, but we don't have to live there. And I hear, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we have a past, but we don't have to live there. You know, that's one of the wonderful things that Jesus did for us as he set us free from our past. You know, we may be influenced by our past, <clears throat> but our past doesn't have to define who we are. Amen? Our past doesn't have to define who we are because of who we are in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul he had quite an infamous past. You know, he was a persecutor of the church. But later on this morning, we're going to take a little bit of a look at him as well, and we see how Paul did not allow his past to define who he was and his future. You know, we're going to see later on that it talks, he talks about how, you know, he is without any shame, any guilt, he says at one point, there's no blood on my hands. Well, in the natural, there was all sorts of blood on Paul's hands. But that's not where he lived. That's not where he abided. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Philippians, the fourth chapter, or excuse me, the third chapter. Hallelujah. We're just going to begin in verse 1 of Philippians 3. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not uh, tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh, though, also, <clears throat> though I also might have confidence in the flesh. You know, it, it seems like kind of strange wording there. But, you know, earlier in the year we went through the book of Philippians verse by verse, verse and one of the things that we looked at was in this verse where he's talking about the mutilation, that he's talking about circumcision. And he's saying, there isn't anything that we can do in the flesh to justify ourselves. We're justified through the grace of Jesus, through his goodness, through his grace and mercy. We've been justified. And so 
any of our acts of the flesh, that's not going to justify us. You know, our actions change because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Our actions don't change because of willpower. Our actions don't change because we're trying to do right by God. Our, answer, our actions change because something happens on the inside. There's a change that takes place. Something on the inside, working to the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. You know, that's why the Word of God is so important to us because when we get this, this Word on the inside of us, it literally changes our life. You know, as you probably already know, this is a 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And, and I'm reading Luther's um, autobiography or whatever right now. And, and the thing about it is, you know, I, I've shared with this with you before that, you know, uh, <clears throat> my grandson Isaac, our third generation preacher who's associate over in Harlan, Iowa, has informed his dad and I that, uh, that we're old school. And um, so I, I, I realize that I'm old school. But I also listened to Joel Olstein this morning, and, and Joel was talking about how we just have to be who we are. That nobody, God has not created another person like me, and everybody says, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> but, I, but I'm a one of a kind. And so are you, amen. Thank God. You know, but, uh, you know, he, he talked about how, you know, when he first went into the ministry, he, he realized, you know, I don't preach like T.D. Jakes. And, and uh, although I must come kind of close. Well, I had a, I had a guy up in, in Rockwell City told me Monday night, he, he says, you know, my whole life I've, I've listened to black, black preachers. And, uh, and he says, uh, you're about as close as I've found in a white man. <laughs> so, uh, hallelujah. So, me and T.D., T.D., Jake's. And so he says, I'm not this, I'm not that, but this is who I am. You know, I can give somebody a smile and I can give somebody a positive message and make them feel good. And I thought, thank God that he knows who he is. I know he receives a lot of criticism. You know, but I can never understand why it, it's wrong to feel good when you leave church. You know, I listen to him practically every Sunday morning, and by the time he's done with that half hour, I feel good. I thank God. I, I mean, I know that he, a lot of his is a motivational stuff, but, but so be But getting back to me. You know, Pastor Becky, she had a couple of great aunts. They were both old maids, I guess you'd call them, and, and gone to visit them one time, and you know, they were, they were sharing with you all their ailments and we talked to the one a little bit and then just talking to the other one and finally the one says, well, get him back to me. <laughs> well, get him back to me. You know, and so reading 
Luther's book, what it did was, you know, because the emphasis that brought about the Reformation was his revelation and understanding of the Word of God. And what he saw taking place that didn't line up with Scripture, that there were things that were going on in the church that there was no scriptural base or proof for it. Now, Junior gave me a rough time this morning because, uh, you know, I don't know, I gave him a whole page of scriptures. You know, and, and I, I just can't help it because the only thing that's going to change your life is the Word of God. It's going to be as the Word of God comes alive to you. That Word on the inside will change what's on the outside. It'll change how you feel. It'll change how you see things. But it's going to take the Word of God. There's no shortcuts. Shortcuts. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Thank God for prayer. Thank God for worship. Thank God for encouraging words, testimonies, and so forth. But there's only one thing that will change your life. All of these other things will assist it. But there's only one thing that'll change our lives, and that's the Word of God. Thank God for the Word. And so, Paul says here, and I lost track of where I'm at, so I'm going to start in verse 1 again. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. <clears throat> Just think what he's saying here. For you to hear it over and over again ought not to be tedious to you. It ought to be victorious. It ought to give us safety. You know, Peter said, my main responsibility is to remind you of what I've already taught you. Think about that. We need to continuously be reminded of what we've been taught. You know why that is? Because we forget. We lose sight of it. And when we forget it and when we lose sight of it, it loses its effect. It loses its power in our life. And that's why the word is so important. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also find might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He's saying, you know what? If anybody ought to be able to have confidence in the flesh, I'm the man. But he's saying, you know what? I can't. Because it isn't of the flesh. It's of the Spirit. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me talking about these in the flesh. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost 
Christ. You know, I always tell people, my biggest problem in life is me. If I didn't have to deal with me, life would be a breeze. But you know what? Every day, every moment of every day, I have to deal with me. You think you've got it tough. You've got to deal with me once or twice a week. I've got to deal with me every moment of every day. It's, it's, it's ongoing. I just can't get away from it. But that's how it is. But see, what Paul is saying is that our past doesn't have to dictate to us what's in our future. Our past doesn't have to be the hindrance that keeps us from living the successful life in the here and now and in the future. But you know what, if I focus my attention on me, I'll be defeated every single time. And whether you realize it or not, the same is true for each and every one of us. We need to be of this same mind that Paul was in. That yes, maybe I've, you know, do you know what? It's not just your failings in your past that hinder you in the future. It's your successes. You know, right now, you know, all the championship games are going on in football and volleyball and so forth, and everybody's so excited and everybody's so, so excited about themselves. And, but guess what? In a few years, nobody will remember who they are. At the very most, they're going to have a little plaque on the wall someplace to say they were here and the next generation could care less. But let me tell you what happens. It hinders them. Your successes in life will hinder you because you probably think you achieved that a success in your own ability. And so if you were able to succeed that success, surely I can continue and, and succeed in other areas as well. No, you won't, because you're limited by you. But you know what Paul is talking about here is the opportunities for me, this is Paul, the opportunities for me are limitless because I put my trust, I put my confidence completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll never fail me. He'll never fail you. I mean, He'll take you places that you would have never imagined being able to go. Yeah, I think, I think of my own life. Poor little old farm boy from southern Minnesota that barely made it through school, had 12 in my graduating class. You know, went one year to junior college and hated every minute of it. went into plumbing and God, did you get that? God called me into the ministry. The most least likely, God called me. 
And it, 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 it's amazing to me. You know, I've been pastoring now for 37 and a half years, 35 and a half years here. I've preached the gospel in over 20 countries. I've been on four continents, five continents, I don't remember which. This poor little farm boy from southern Minnesota. But you know what? If God can do it in my life, you have potential. Can you imagine what he can do in your life? If we'll give him the opportunity to do so. But what do we do? Rather than look at our past as being the past, that it's no longer going to influence and control my life, we allow it to continue to dominate us. We allow our failings and shortcomings to dictate to us what we're going to do in life. Or we allow our successes and we look at it and say, it can't get any better than this. And so you settle for some little trophy or something, certificate, that you put on the wall. Rather than being excited about what Jesus wants to do in your life today. Today. Today is your day of salvation. Today is the day you no longer have to remain living in the past. Today is the day that you can decide that through the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit and the working of his word in my life, I'm going to move on from here. I'm not going to settle any longer. You know, our biggest problem is, is we settle. Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. But you know what? Paul never settled. Paul continued to move forward. Verse 8. Yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might, that I may know him. He's saying, I count everything in my life but loss, except that which I've received from him that I may know him. Paul is saying, I know him. I count everything lost that I might know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, not that I've already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. What is it that we're trying to lay hold of? It isn't us trying to work it out. It's us laying hold of what Christ has already laid hold of for each and every one of us. Saints of God, it's already done. Jesus has already done it, accomplished it for each and every one of us. 
Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehend, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Stop dwelling on the past. Begin to press forward. Press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing towards the goal. What's the goal? Whatever Jesus has for you. Whatever he's already accomplished for you. You know, we, we oftentimes talk about how salvation is the completed works of Jesus. The word sozo means healing, prosperity, deliverance, joy, peace. All of that is inclusive in that. But you know what? Included in that is your success in life. God has not called a single one of us to be a failure. He's not called a single one of us to live a life in lack. Well, pastor, you know, I, there's, there's people all over the world that are living in lack. Well, we interpret it as lack. But you know, for them, it might be in abundance. And for them, the key is to get a hold of the Word of God. For them, it may not be driving a new car, it may be driving a bicycle. Prosperity is relevant to where we live. Prosperity may be having enough food to feed yourself and your family. God wants to supply every one of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, and that's not an American gospel. Because there is but one gospel, and that gospel is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And within that gospel, everything that is needful in our lives is provided for because he is an all-sufficient God. And he wants to meet every one of your needs. The Gospel of John has a, an account, a story in the life of Jesus that I just absolutely love. And it's a story about the woman at the well. And you know, every one of us ought to be able to identify on one level or another this story. And every one of us ought to learn from this story what it has to share with each and every one of us. But let's start in the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse. This is talking about Jesus. And, but he needed to go to Samaria. And he came to a city of Samaria, which is Sychar, near the plot of, land, of ground that Jacob gave to the sons of Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from the journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman from Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so back at this time, um, 
there was very much a class system. And the Jews had absolutely nothing to do with the Samaritans. They just considered them to be beneath them. So they wouldn't even talk to them. And so here's Jesus. You know, and Jesus doesn't go by the worldly rules. Amen? And so he, he talked to this woman. But notice, he asked her for a drink of water. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked me, and I would have given you of living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that, that living water? Are you greater than the, the father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as him, his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water, will thirst again. Whatever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of life, springing up to everlasting life. Of course, we know that as you study the scriptures, oftentimes water is a, is a type of the Holy Spirit. And here we see that, that salvation is a well of water that we can draw upon, that we can receive the spirit of life by drinking from that which Jesus supplies for us. We also see in the scripture where it talks about that, you know, um, that the Holy Spirit is a, is a spring of living water, that it, it gushes forth. And so we, we see the two experiences. We see the well of water that represents the born-again experience, but then we see the, the gushing forth of the spring of water, the living water, which is, which is the Holy Spirit that is available to us. But here, he's talking about the born-again experience, that if you knew who was talking to you, there would be life that would be available to you, everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir... Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And of course, that's what we do oftentimes with the spiritual truth. We try to bring it down to a level that we can identify with. We, we bring it down to a level of the physical where it's talking about something spiritual in our life. Jesus isn't talking about a refreshing drink of physical water. He's talking about a spiritual refreshing that is available to each and every one of us. And so she says, Jesus, give me of this water so that I don't have to come here again. Now, what's interesting about this story, and we're going to see this. Well, let me read on a little bit and we'll get to it. Um, better get into the right chapter. And then Jesus said in the 16th verse, and Jesus said, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one, the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Now, what's interesting about this story is, you know, usually when people went to the well, they'd go in a group. And here this woman is at a well when nobody else is at a well, 
at the well. And I believe that there's a reason for that. She went to the well so that she could avoid everybody else. She didn't want all the spiritual people looking down their pointy little holy nose at her, speaking behind her back, whispering, well, you better watch out. Don't let your husband get near to her. <laughs> you know her. She's had five husbands. and <sighs> The one she's living with now isn't even, they're not, they're not even married. And you know what? Jesus, he brought it up for one purpose. Not to belittle her, but so that she might be set free from her past. You know, oftentimes, I've, I've got this kick on religion these days. I'm just so frustrated with religion. You say, well, here we are in a religious service. I hope not. Christianity isn't religion. Christianity is a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. Religion, in its true sense, is man's attempt to get right with God. And so religion focuses on man. Christianity focuses upon Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And so hopefully this morning, we're not, we're not focusing on man's efforts. We're focusing on what Jesus has already done for each and every one of us. We've come together today to drink living water. To drink water that this world does not have to offer any of us. But there's a living water we find that living water through the Word of God. We find it through His Spirit. And as we receive that living Word, that living water, it changes us. It gives us hope where there's no hope. It removes the fear where there was fear. It dissolves the shame that once dominated our lives. That's what this woman was dealing with. She was dealing with shame, and so she avoided everybody so that she didn't have to deal with the shame. Why didn't she want to go to the well? Because she didn't want to have to deal with it anymore. We see this in the world that we live in, that, that people are fed up with trying to be right, trying to do the right thing, but then never getting any credit for it. Well, we don't get credit for anything because it isn't about what we do. It's about what Jesus has already done. And when we finally come to that place and we give up, we say, Jesus, there's absolutely nothing I can do. I am totally dependent upon you. We begin to experience life. We begin to experience the abundant life. Paul talks about everything that he had to give up. You know, I look back on my life and becoming a Christian, and I just think about it. And being a pastor, I just... Praise my holy name. I just think about all the things 
that I had to give up. I had to give up sickness and disease. I had to, I had to give up poverty. I had to give up shame and guilt for the stupid things that I had I'd done in my past. I had to give all that up. We look at Christian life and we think of it as a sacrifice. Let me tell you something. Compared to the world, there is no sacrifice when we come into the kingdom of God. I had to give up the opportunity to be a drunk. All of that was because of Jesus. I tell you, when we start feeling sorry for ourselves and we begin to dwell upon everything that we've got to give up and how difficult it is being a Christian, I just challenge you to listen to Fox News. And you'll realize how good you've got it. I didn't use the other ones because I knew I'd get some amens there. But it's the same thing on Fox News. Everything is negative. Everything. The world lives in negativity. The world has no hope. We have hope. We have Jesus. And there isn't anything the enemy can bring against our lies that can bring destruction. The 19th verse, the woman says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on these mountain, this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither uh, on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship uh, what we worship, no, let me try that again. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper will worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. Thy word is truth. It is an absolute impossibility for you to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ without the word alive in your life. Because the true worshiper worships him in spirit and in truth. And the spirit that is talking about is the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, as he reveals the word of God to us, that we're able to walk in it, we're able to experience the abundance. This woman was shunned, she was an outcast. Maybe that was our past. Maybe we were shunned, maybe we were outcasts. In one way or another, all of us were. But Jesus says, Here's life. I've come that you might have life, that you might have it 
more abundantly. In Isaiah 43, and in the 18th and the 19th verse, it says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Jesus came to do, to do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. You shall not know it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He makes the way for us. You know, sometimes in life it may feel like we're, we're going through a desert, but you know what? He says he's going to open the door for us. He's going to make a way where there appears to be no way. You know, in Revelation it talks about Jesus being the door. You know, we always use that, that illustration, that example, that picture of the door with Jesus knocking on the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And of course, if you've ever seen the picture, it doesn't have a doorknob on the outside. That means we've got to be willing to open the door for him to come through. And we always use that for, for evangelism, but you know what? It's true in every area of our lives. When we see a truth in the Word of God, we have to open the door to that truth so that we might experience in our lives. I had to open the door when I was 24 years old and received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Some six months later, I opened the door and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with a manifestation of tongues. But you know what, it didn't end there. When I began to hear the message of healing, I had to open the door to that so that the Spirit of God could reveal to me that healing was available to me and you today. When I began to hear the message of prosperity, I couldn't stand with my foot against the door and hold it closed. I had to be willing to open that door and allow prosperity to come into my life. You know, we look and His peace is available to each and every one of us. But you know what? He's standing at the door knocking, saying, I've got peace for you when your life is in turmoil. But you know what we have to do? We have to be willing to open the door so that that peace can come into our lives. We live a life so often of sorrow when the Bible says it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. But you know what? We have to be willing to open that door and say, come on in. I'm ready for some joy. Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's stop dwelling on what was, what could have been but wasn't. Our shortcomings, what we perceive as being our shortcomings and our failures. It's time to move on. You know, when you're in the desert, you know why the desert is so difficult? It's because of the conditions. And so when you're in a spiritual desert, it's the conditions and every one of those conditions are there 
to destroy you. The evil one is lying to you, speaking to you, telling you you can't make it. But I'm here this morning to tell you, yes, you can. Because there's somebody, somebody living on the inside of you that wants to give you that abundant life. Galatians, the second chapter. Therefore, therefore, if, if always implies a condition. If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to the regulations? And he talks about do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. How does the world approach us with a bunch of do's and don'ts? How does religion approach us with a bunch of do's and don'ts? And here he says, therefore, if you died with Christ, if you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you died. You died with him to the things of this world. And so he's saying to us is, if you're dead to the things of this world, why do you continue to allow the things that you're dead to to continue to dominate and control your life? But you know why that happens? Because we don't consider ourselves to be dead. We consider ourselves to be alive to all those things. Do you know how we handle temptation? Do you know how we handle sin when it tries to come against us? Well, I don't know, it's a struggle. We look at it and say, no, I'm dead to that. You know, it's an interesting thing about a dead man. None of the conditions of this world move him. You know why? He's dead to it. We're dead to the things of this world. And so the things of this world ought not to move us. But we hear the report, and what do we do? We immediately accept the report, and it moves us. We need to take what the Word of God says. But, but again, it goes back to we can't stand on something we don't know. We can't believe for something that we're not aware of. I went to church for 24 years of my life. Practically every Sunday. When I was a kid, I had to. My mom played the organ. And I had to sit in the front row every Sunday. And then I married somebody that went to church. And so we continued going. We went to church. But I was just a sinner filling a pew. Because going to church doesn't make you a saint. For a sinner to become a saint, you have to be born again. So at the age of 24, after going to church all these years, sitting there, but never hearing the truth, I prayed and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, not in church, 
in the basement of Vern Lewis's house. My life has been different ever since because something on the inside worked to the outside. Oh, it would change my life. But see, the point is, I had to hear it. And once I heard it, it changed me. Why do we hear the word over and over? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word hearing is in the continuous present tense. And so it's not having heard the word that produces life, it's hearing the word that produces life. And so it's on a continual style, lifestyle of hearing it over and over and over again. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the fifth, fifth chapter, in the 17th verse, it says, therefore, if, there's that condition again, therefore, if anyone, you know the story about the Samaritan woman, whether you're Samaritan or Jew, whether your background is German or Irish, or whatever, it says, therefore, if anyone, doesn't matter if you grew up in Iowa or you grew up in Minnesota. If anyone is in Christ, he, who? The one who's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, oh, be careful now, you might get Pentecostal here all at once and get excited and, and jump up and down or something. But if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Old things are gone. Say, well, Pastor, you don't know what happened in my life. No, I don't, and I don't care. Because if you've received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's gone. It's in your past. You know, I, going into the prisons is difficult, you know, because every day they're reminded of their past. But I tell them, listen, there's nothing you can do about that, but you don't have to accept it as your identity. Your identity is what Christ has done in your life. And you need to begin to see yourself differently because if you'll begin to see yourself differently, you will begin to act differently and when you begin to act differently people will begin to respond to you differently why because you've changed but you know what that's for all of us prisoners for apart from Christ we were all prisoners in this world subject to the whims of this world but we've been set free through Christ Jesus therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
No, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Because we have been reconciled to Christ, it has been entrusted to us to share with others how they can be reconciled to Christ. In other words, their past, they can be free from it also in the same way that we are. But you know what? You'll never convince them if you're not convinced of it. But when you're convinced that you're that new creation in Christ Jesus, oh my, 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 how things have changed, how things will change. In Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, no one put his hand to the plower, plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What does that mean to you and I? We're, we're in the kingdom of God. Why would we look back? You know, it's an, it's an interesting thing about the past. You know, people talk about the good old days. Let me tell you something. They weren't that good. In fact, there's nothing about it that was good if you'd be totally honest about it. But he says, once we're part of that kingdom, we're not to look back. We're not to dwell on the past. We're to continue to look forward. Listen to what Paul says in, in 1 Timothy, the first chapter. And I'm going to begin in the 12th verse, and it says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counts me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord has exceedingly abundantly with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me, first Christ Jesus might show all longsuffering. So a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so what he's saying, this is who I am, but this is who I am now. You know, we're, we're reminded periodically of our past, but we don't go back there. We live in who we are now in Christ Jesus and where we're going in the future. Back in Isaiah 30 or 43 again, verse 25 and 26, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together, 
State your case that you may be acquitted. He says, I've blotted out your transgressions. I remember your sins no longer. You know, I, I can accept the fact that I'm not the smartest thing in the world. But neither am I the stupidest. You know, I remember years back, we went to a meeting and somebody had this revelation that it was, it was to be a, a confession meeting. That we were to confess our faults to one another. And, and so we sat in the circle and everybody started confessing their sins. And, and so I thought of something I was about ready and I thought, no, no, I've, I've asked for forgiveness. I've been forgiven. No. I asked for forgiveness, I've been forgiven. And so I, I left that meeting, I felt guilty. Who did I think I was? Because all these others were much more spiritual than me. But here I am, I see myself as sinless, as forgiven. Yeah. See, I, I learned something. If God doesn't remember my sins any longer, anymore, why would I remind him? Now, of course, God knows everything, amen? And I used to struggle with this. God knows everything. But he chooses to remember my sins no longer. You know what? When God looks upon me, he doesn't see a poor, miserable sinner. He sees the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. When God looks upon each and every one of us in this room, we have such a low opinion of ourselves. What's ironic about it is God has such a high opinion of us because he knows what the blood of Jesus has done for each and every one of us, how that blood completely washed and cleansed us from all sin, from the defilement of sin. You're free. And because we're free in Christ, we're free indeed. We must cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us, 1 Peter 5, 7. You know, we need to laugh at the devil because he wants to steal our joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. But what do we do? We allow ourselves to get into the pit. When we praise God, even in the midst of troubles, we will see, as it says in Isaiah 54.17, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. No weapon, no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. No word of man, no lie of the devil, nothing will prosper against us. Deuteronomy 28, 13 says that we are the head and not the tail. That means whatever it may be, you're above it because you're in Christ Jesus. You're victorious. 
1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In other words, whatever the world wants to throw against you, Jesus is greater. And that's where we put our trust. That's where we put our confidence. We put it completely in him. Philippians 4, 8th and 9th verse says, Finally, my brethren, finally, whatever things are true, what are you going to focus on? Let God be true and every other man a liar. What are we going to focus on? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, think on these things. What do you think on? What do you meditate on? What do you dwell on? He says, dwell on these things. What things? Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, whatever things have, pray, have virtue and are praiseworthy, dwell on these things. But you know what? Our natural training goes the opposite direction. Life has trained us to focus on, to dwell in the negative rather than on the positive. But you know what happens? When we begin to focus upon the Word of God, all at once, you can't help yourself. You just begin to be positive. You begin to think differently. 2 Corinthians 7, 2 says, open, our, open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. But you know, when you focus on the world, you see just the opposite of those things. We see ourselves cheated. We see ourselves as things as being corrupted. But they don't have to be as we look at this. And then finally, this is the last scripture. And this is Paul speaking. Remember Paul? Paul's the one that persecuted the church. Paul was the one that got permission to go into houses and drag Christians out of their homes to throw them in jail. And many of them were not simply persecuted, they were killed. That's the Paul we're talking about. And Paul is the one speaking in Acts, the 20th chapter, and the 26th verse. And he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. How could he say that? Because of what Jesus had done in his life and because of what he believes. How do we change how we see ourselves? We take the word of God. We dwell upon the Word of God. We recognize that we are brand new creations in Christ Jesus. You know, a baby is born, they'll know right for wrong. When we're born again through the Spirit of God, He wants to lead us in the right that we no longer know the wrong. But it's when we trust Him.
we look to Him, when we open those doors and allow Him to come in, then we make Him big. He ought to be big on the inside of us. Not our problems. Our problems often are big. Our problems dominate our, our lives, dominate our thoughts. We need to make Him big. Allow Him to dominate our thoughts. And the way He does it through His wonderful Word. Wish there was a shortcut. Wish I could just walk up to each one of you and just buy a bunch of Bibles and bring them on a Sunday morning and just take it and shove it down your throat. <laughs> well, that pastor, he just keeps trying to shove it down our throat. Well, I wish I could. Because if I could, I would. But I can't. We've got to chew it for ourselves. Hallelujah. Here's the victory. You want to know it? His banner over us is love. And this needs to be the banner that we wave over our head. The Word of God. Well, glory to God. Isn't he wonderful? Praise you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word that is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that, Father, we no longer have to live in the past. That you have a, a present and a future that's full of victory. And it's your desire for us to walk in the fullness of it. And so, Lord, may we remove all the limitations, all the limitations that we've put upon you and upon your word and said, you can go so far but no further. We've said, you fit into this box and we won't let you out of it. Father, may we break down the barriers, the walls, and swing the door open wide so that you could reveal to each and every one of us the truth that belongs to us, that we might walk in it, that we might experience your fullness. And Father, we ask it in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a spectacular week. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. And as you go, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.